Now, we're officially in the year of 2023. Now, in this month, it sounds very busy, particularly for the country of China. Not only the entire nation celebrates the Chinese New Year, but meanwhile, one piece of good news just came out recently regarding the Chinese government decided to open up its border to the world. Well, on one hand, that might sound like a promising news to the whole world, but meanwhile, some countries are holding different attitudes towards this tourism industry. And we know given the fact that previously because of the pandemic, that one of the industries which is related to tourism was hit majorly devastated because of the pandemic. Now, China this time was bold enough to open up its border, but again, some countries are very hesitant to losing the people or in return, allowing the Chinese nationals come into the country because the COVID intensity. Well, what about the term that rose recently, what we called tourism diplomacy, and how should we understand that? Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite Dr. Chen Mingming. Now, Dr. Cheng is currently Associate Professor in Digital Marketing and the Director of the Social Media Research Lab at the School of Management and Marketing at Curtin University, Australia. Of course, if you follow his work, lately he wrote one of the amazing articles, which is entitled, Chinese Tourists Are Back and So in Beijing's Tourism Diplomacy. Well, Dr. Cheng, and welcome to The Missing Piece. Well, thank you very much. Well, Dr. Cheng, again, initially when I discovered you, as I mentioned before, because this amazing article that you wrote, and which is entitled, Chinese Tourists Are Back and So Is Beijing's Tourism Diplomacy. As we mentioned before, because the pandemic, that the tourism industry was hit pretty hard. I mean, again, it's not just did not just happen in China, but outside the entire country as well. Now this time, how should we understand the decision of China opening up to the world and also the Chinese visitors interested in visiting other countries? Is this a mutual way to boost the global economy? How should we understand that? Well, well, if we look at a, China, a Chinese outbound tourist, so just before before COVID in 2019, Chinese underground tourism market is already the number one for the whole world. So for many countries, Chinese tourists is the number one source market for the country. Mm. So if you're looking at the size, it's significant, but also you look at the spendings. So the spending is also the number one in the world. Mm. So basically, if we look at the tourism itself, well, tourism has been a very significant part of, of many countries' economy, uh, particularly the neighboring countries like Thailand. So, so whatever happens in tourism will significantly affect the whole country as well. Mm. So if we will look at a Chinese tourist, so where, where Chinese tourist troubles, does not always out of their designs, but always, always something come from the government as well. Now, because Chinese tourists spend a lot, they are traveling huge numbers. So the government can actually direct maybe a soft powers to where they go. Mm. Now, this is what we call tourism diplomacy. Now, tourism diplomacy does not happen in China. It can happen in any other countries too. But tourism diplomacy means that because the size of your unabound tourists are so significant and critical to other countries, so they can use as a way 
you know, usually as a diplom- diplomatic, you know, tools mm. to foster relationships as well as expand its influence over the world. Mm. So if we look at Chinese tourists are coming back, a lot of countries are very excited, right? For in Thailand, even some 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 high level government officials actually welcome Chinese tourists at the airport. Mm. But some some other countries are really worried. They say, look, you know, they may have other variants and maybe actually can carry the risks to my countries. Mm. But 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 the the thing but but the thing is that. Regardless whether you put a restriction or not, Chinese tourists will come in huge numbers and it will be critical. But the problem, if you will look at here now, this um, one week ago, now the Chinese ministry, Chinese government, Ministry of Tourism and Culture, issued a new announcement saying that this country, this list of countries, will be the first priority countries for their parallel program for package tours. Mm. And a lot of countries that are friendly to China. Are uh, including that list mm. now. This including Thailand, um, include Russia as well as including New Zealand. Mm. But other, but but countries like Japan, South Korea, and Australia, are, are fortunately, are not in the in the list. Mm. So as you can see, that so China tourism back, they always carry carry the politics, always carry what the government want to do. So so in a way. In a way, what we can see is that if we look closely, and we will see how the Chinese government will use as a way to expand its influence.、Hmm. Well, Dr. Cheng, again, surely that you、uh, just made several significant points, but I want to go back to the article. Within the article that you pinpointed. That and I quote: "Back in 2019, the year before the pandemic began." This is such a shocking number that 154.6 million Chinese traveled outside mainland China, and which more than the journey put together from any other countries. And again, but putting together, the Chinese tourists spent roughly about 250 billion dollars. I mean, again, just internationally, we know that pre-pandemic. China was considered as one of the rising stars. Again, we look at this economically speaking. We look at this political sleeping,、uh, politically speaking. But right now, we're looking at the period of post-pandemic. How should we understand this current Chinese economic market, and also the,、um, should I say, the the economy situation for the average citizens when it comes to tourism industry? So, in other words. Can we still expect the Chinese nationals are going to be or continue to be the major spenders or the major consumers for the tourism industry, not just domestically but internationally? What do you say, Professor? Wow, that, that that's a really valid point. So if we were looking at back in two thousand nineties, China was enjoying really rapid growth as before. But right after pandemic, particularly after three years zero COVID policies, now we look at a lot of disposal income for a lot of Chinese.、Mm. So they may they were not as you know as what I put rich as before.、Mm. So this will significantly influence their travel plans. However, consider the numbers as well as their spendings. So we is so significant and critical. Now. The thing is that we may not see Chinese tourists、uh, at return 
as you know as quickly to the pre-pandemic levels i don't think it will happen in 2023 well one thing is because they don't have enough disposal incomes mm. but but on the other hand is also depend the government policy but also we're looking at the flight capacities mm. as well as the price of traveling around so travel become real because really expensive at this particular time and so do for many chinese tourists as well so what i want to see is that we will see Chinese tourists were going back, I would say, not as quickly as before. And also, they will focus more on short-distance short travels, mm. particularly for neighboring countries rather than long-distance countries. For example, I think the numbers for Australia, for uh, United States for Europe will not pick up as quickly as the numbers of China tourists traveling to Thailand and like Japan, for example. So, so and the other issue is that how the Chinese government really want the tourists to go at this mm. stage, mm. right? So if you look at a priority list for the parallel program, the certain countries, the Chinese government, well, they may not say that, but it's actually in some way can encourage tourists to particular countries mm. now the other thing we do we need we need to remember is that for the chinese tourism market it's not all about free individual travelers it's also about package tours mm. now nearly 40 percent of chinese animal tourists they are on package tours they're very significant numbers right and so you know if, if it's a big so for example traveling to united states to uh, europe or to africa on package tours can be expensive, right? Mm. So that's why we see that a lot of travel will be happening in the neighboring countries. Mm. So the numbers will come back, but I don't think it will reach the pre-pandemic level. Dr. Cheng, sure. Dr. Cheng, you mentioned, again, going back to the country that you repeated back and forth, which is Thailand. And we know that for decades, Chinese economy have have had significant economic impact specifically on countries in Southeast Asia. You know, we look at country of Thailand and Vietnam and Cambodia, Laos, I mean, you name it. But let's just say, going back to the point that you make, take Thailand, for example. And again, based on this domestic reports, I don't have the concrete number in my hands, but we know that Thailand, like you mentioned before, Professor, welcomes and embraces the Chinese tourists and realize that after three years, we are ready to receive the international travelers. But one reality we have to keep in mind, Professor, is today when we look at the Chinese economy, we are using two words. Number one is unpredictability. And number two, we're looking at the slowness. So how do you think that the slowness of the Chinese economy or in this unpredictable mode of the Chinese economy can bring relevant or should I say um, core, uh, related impact on countries in Southeast Asia. So in other words, how does the country in Thailand understand or even anticipate that Chinese tourists is going to help them with the domestic economy? What would you say to that? Well, I, I definitely agree with the point that the two, the two point you mentioned about why is a slow growth, mm. as well as predictability of the Chinese markets. So if we were, if you we were looking at this 
we, we may see a, a slow growth of Chinese economy, so do the disposal income of average, you know, every um, average Chinese tourist. So, but the key point is that the number is just so significant. Mm. If we will look at Thailand, I think, you know, um, just from a memory, I think it will be in 2019, there are around 10 million Chinese tourists have been traveling to Thailand. Mm. Now, this number is so huge. Even though we see half of them travel to Thailand, it's still significant. Because during the pandemics, as from a memory, it was less than 100,000 Chinese traveling to Thailand in, in 2022. So the number was really, really small. But even we have two or three millions, just like half or two thirds or one third of the Chinese to come to Thailand are still significant. Mm. So and the one point we need to keep in mind, Chinese tourists, they, they are usually spend much more That's right. than those who are the markets. So when we talk about China spend more, not only because they, they pay the experiences, it's like the hotels, but Chinese tourists love shopping. Mm. When they say they love shopping, I'm not saying they buy things for themselves, but in Chinese societies, it's always when you travel, you need to give something to your relatives, mm. your friends. And that's why it's a flow on effect. So when they go, when they're traveling to Thailand, they're going to do shopping, not only for themselves, but also for their relatives, for their parents, for their friends. So the total spending are so huge. So despite that we may see a slow growth as well as we see, well, it may only come in half, but still the number is so big and then it is so, and then we can't just, you know, ignore that. Professor, I want to go back to your article again. This is something that I have to be honest that for the first time, initially when I read your article, it was rather um, difficult for me to put two words, which is tourism diplomacy. Because we know that for decades, or at least based on this current political atmosphere, this wolf warrior diplomacy, it's well known around the world, you know, coming from the Chinese government. But meanwhile, Professor, help us to understand, again, you mentioned countries such as Japan, South Korea, Australia, and many more, they are very careful about receiving the Chinese tourists, you know, when it comes to COVID situation. Now, here's the question. If we understand uh, uh, clearly regarding this tourism diplomacy, what does that message say regarding the Chinese government in terms of are dealing with the countries of Japan, South Korea, and Australia, etc. So in other words, can those countries really reinforce those wolf warrior diplomacies just as Chinese government does, and meanwhile still receive this economic benefits from China or from the Chinese tourists? What do you think? Well, if you're looking at terrorism now, because of the high spending, the numbers of China tourists. So we can see tourism is economic activities, mm. right? We call tourism trade. So trade. So what happened is that because the because the economic impact is so significant, and the gov the government can use it as a soft powers. So basically, tourism diplomacy is that tourism is already part of the part of the you know diplomatic tools that the, mm. the Chinese government can use. 
Now, if you're looking at those countries, so for, let me give an example, like Cambodia, uh, Egypt. So they, before COVID, so there are many Chinese tourists traveling there. And the point is that Egypt is a particular country that government, China government encouraged because Egypt supports the one one road uh, one belt one road initiative right mm. the same as with Cambodia so they actually show their friendliness to Chinese government so tourism as a way is it's they can benefit from you know from Chinese tourists because the way how Chinese tourists direct the tourism flows can have significant impacts um you know on this particular countries so, you know particularly for those Developing countries like Cambodia, they're significant depending on Chinese tourists. And tourism is very important for the whole national economy, right? They just can't ignore that, right? So in that way, the Chinese Chinese government can use the tourism as a way to say, look, you're friendly to China, and then we will support you mm-hmm. through tourism. And But if we're looking at uh, um, other countries in Australia, for example, now, because of the because of the tone and the change of the government in Australia, and now the relationship seems improving. Mm. So 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 even though Australia is still not in the initial list, but the Chinese government did not did not actually have how to put it did did not really actually um, the tone in the Chinese media did not really frame Australia's as an enemy, mm. right? Or something treat Chinese with special treatment. Mm. But if you look at South Korea and Japan, so they require Chinese tourists to have PCR tests mm. before they can come to Japan or South Korea. So what happened is that the Chinese government media or Chinese government frame it as discrimination, a special treatment. Mm. So those comments, when they put on the social media, on the state government media, it will give you different impressions for the Chinese tourists. Not in a way that this encourages them like to travel to those countries. Mm. So if we, for Australia, for example, we don't really see the tone. And also we didn't really see the government put anything in pl- place. They're saying, well, don't travel to Australia. Right? So this in a way we can see when, the, when this improved relationship, how the Chinese government direct tourism flows, will be different. Mm. Dr. Cheng, I know you're very busy. Now stay with me. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, also based on the bio, you're a professor in digital marketing and director of the Social Media Research Lab. We know that today when it comes to tourism or when it comes to uh, um, the boost, the effectiveness of tourism, social media, undoubtedly speaking, plays a significant role. Now help us to understand do you think that post the pandemic period, how much do you think social media platforms will continue to contribute to this um, economic growth or to this economic development? We know that today around the world, when we look at Facebook, we'll look at Twitter, we'll look at Instagram and also domestically, and we'll look at the audience in, in Malaysia, in China, people are also relying on social media to receive information how significant it is for social media continue to partner with industry such as tourism, such as technology, in order to uh, gain the greater benefits. What do you say to that, Professor? 
Well, social media has already been very very important before the pandemic, and it will continue so after the pandemic. Now, but the thing, one thing we need to remember is that before COVID, a lot of things popular social media, Facebook, Twitter, they're still popular, mm. but we are seeing a growing numbers of trouble related like forums as well as social media content. Mm. And one of the things that become really popular is what are we called trouble influencers. Mm. Now those trouble influencers and we're not called a celebrity. They're not. So they are the people who travel around the world, taste different local foods, and they talk about that. They run a blog, they, they make TikTok videos, and they talk about things they have visited. So this become a significant part of the travel. Now, a lot of people don't don't like to see what the, what the, you know, what the government tells them. Mm. They don't like what the tourism, tourism bureau tells them because they say this is really what they call professional not authentic mm. right and they don't like a lot of promotions from the hotels what they want really see the authentic experiences mm. that share on social media and a lot and that's why we have this travel influencers right they say i haven't been to that restaurant that's how i feel about it mm. i think the price is reasonable the food is good is definitely so what do we really see now with the social media is that a lot of people because the travel influences, they to nice, less known areas. Mm. Now, before people only know, for example, to, to Malaysia, they will say, oh, the Kuala Lumpur, right? Or Twins Tower. But now there's other places people discover from social media and say, oh, so there's a place to be. And there's so many destinations, what are we called, social media induced to the destinations. Mm. We're well, not to the destination before, but because people go there and post on social media, they become really, really hot spot. Mm. Now, but the other thing is that we have the technology is that particular social media is that people post on social media, then we can predict your behavior, right? Mm. We know what you like. So if you someone always post something like cultural attractions on your Facebook, and Facebook will recommend you for cultural attractions when you're in trouble. So Facebook will say, do you want to check in now in Malaysia or in Thailand? And they will recommend say, your friends have also been here. Mm. Would you like to go as well? So what we can see is that based on your social media footprint, and as the social media, we'll say giant platforms, also have the algorithm to predict what you like and to recommend what you do. So this we call, this what we call is that algorithmic uh, experience is mm. basically this algorithms can change how you travel around mm. so i give an example here so if you go to uh, malaysia for example you have half day left that's right you say you know what what i'm going to do right so you just basically put something on the social media and ask your friends or or you just ask social media or the travel apps recommend they will recommend oh there's a few attractions it'll take you one and a half go there and have you to travel there and even put google map you will say two of the attractions around me so they will recommend mm. right so so this can also change you know how you plan your trip and how you experience the city not because what you actually want is if the other algorithm can predict what you want mm. well professor again i really appreciate your time now the last question i want to wrap up our conversation again going back to your expertise is today when we look at this international economic projection 
Another term that constantly being thrown around, which is called the digital currency or this digital marketing. So again, I want to go back to uh, um, the country of China. Now, help us to understand, Professor, for the year of 2023, what do you think is going to happen to this digital marketing? Because we know that today people are not only spending money offline. So again, since the borders are opened up and people are free to travel, but meanwhile, we have seen more online consumers and we have seen the growth of virtue marketing. So from your perspective, how much do you think that China or even uh, any other countries significantly can expect this online growth or this margin, uh, this dig digital marketing for this coming year? And especially, how does that help with the global economy in a greater sense? Yeah, so if we were looking at uh, when you take China for for example for now, so China has is really what we call on social media platforms, mm. which 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 can be quite different from our you know what the people are using around the world. Sure. Now China they have their own WeChat, right? They have the red uh, you know the, the red book, so it's quite different from you know the dominant social media platform like Facebook, Twitter around the world. So what if you look at China, particular WeChat? It's not only about one social media platform anymore. It's not only about your sharing experience, you post something. It is it is become a giant app that contains multiple areas. Mm. If you look at WeChat, so you can do you can use WeChat payment, you can buy something there. That's right. Become a social social commerce. You can buy something there. So you can also pay your bills. Right, you you can you can you can you can you can also read the news articles, and also you can take a ride and you can book a flight. So it's become everything in one single social media app. Now the the reason that Switch is so powerful is because you it basically you use that for your social network. It's so hard for you to get rid of it. And then once you all, all have that all that functions together. I just you just rely on it. You mm. won't even go to other apps. Mm. Now, if you will look at what happening with uh, in Malaysia, the Grab. Now, the Grab is not only not only like food delivery, but it also has other other services like finance as That's well. That's right. So what we what I see is that the digital marketing is that one social media platform is a no longer a social media platform. Mm. It contains so many things, commerce. Um, you know, pay for bills, finance. You know, um, you know, you know. Then even we have this, you know, other uh, transactions, you know, happening. You know, so it's just a lot of things going on. You can even post a reviews, right? That's right. For a restaurant, and you can, you can, you can have a ride. It just becomes so significant. And the second thing we really, really see is that this digital marketing actually, you know, platforms nurturing. A growing influencers. Mm. Now, these influencers, we don't say big influencers, right? They they, they are huge number of followers. Those are what are we call followers like ten thousand, twenty thousand. Those followers are more powerful mm. because they just be the one in the niche market. Mm. But there's a person a real known Malaysia street food, and everyone who wants to have street food, they will actually come to that person's you know the, the social media platform. As someone becomes so niche, 
particular like cosmetics and then become really influential mm. so that's what we're going to see this this social media platform are giving out opportunities to those influencers and there's a particular influence that can have significant influence and the last thing we really really see is that so the medium of the media of a communication change mm. right before a lot of time i think 10 years ago people read blogs right but now seldom what if you happen TikTok videos that's right because of 50 seconds of videos and they catch people's catch people's attention right that's why TikTok becomes so popular and that's when you, once you start it's so hard for you to quit it mm. right and so what happened is that you cannot just really realize on one single medium of communication you have to use short form uh videos as well because that's a way how people now digest a message the 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 thing is that if you look currently we have so much information every day that's right how can a single person to digest the message right so what happened is that you really need to communicate in a way that's straightforward and sharp enough like videos play play significant role and the last thing I point I, I mentioned is that algorithm. Mm. You know, algorithm play a significant role. A lot of time, the the platforms knows what you actually want. Mm. They actually st- stimulate your interest, your curiosity, rather than you, you're looking for it. The same thing happen with your online reviews. There's three thousand, for example, ten thousand. You, you will not be able to, re- to, to, to read it, right? But they will tell you, these are the most relevant reviews for you. What do you mean by relevant? Right? So each person can be different. So your perceptions and, and your judgment actually has been alert. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, has been, um, you know, changed mm. by those algorithms. Sometimes you may not even aware of that. That's right, yeah, Professor. So that's a- Well, again, I agree with you. Again, uh, when it comes to algorithm, I think it's more interesting that how data today or how this technology is not only trying to help us, but also providing what we call the information that we even don't know, that just basically we are being spoon-fed by this data or by the algorithm. But again, Professor, I really appreciate your time. And again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm speaking to Dr. Cheng Mingming. And Dr. Cheng is a currently an associate professor in digital marketing. And he's the director of the Social Media Research Lab at the School of Management and Marketing at Curtin University in Australia. And I strongly encourage everyone to go online. Look for Dr. Cheng's article, which is entitled, Chinese Tourists Are Back and So Is Beijing's Tourism diplomacy. Well, Professor, thank you so much for taking your time to join the show. It's been a pleasure speaking to you. I would love to have you back on the show as we continue to talk about the relationship between economy and this global tourism growth. Again, thank you so much for doing this.